You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1353 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday evening, November 21st. And today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. As the world's largest therapy th- service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists, available 100% online. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. And today's episode is going to be focusing on what became a double-digit loss for the Hawks up in Cleveland to the Cavaliers. Final score, 114 to 102. And uh, lots of interesting stuff from this game. It was kind of back and forth throughout. It wasn't a blowout. It wasn't necessarily a well-played game for parts of it from Atlanta standpoint. And they fall to 10-7 and with the loss. And I also want to encourage you at the top of the podcast to make us your first listen each and every day at Locked on Hawks. Check us out across platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, all those places, video, audio, and more. And we really do appreciate the support on today's podcast. We'll get into it now. But uh, certainly a game that where the Hawks did not play their best on either end of the floor. In fact, I am kind of prone to giving you my thoughts on which end of the floor was worse or better. In this game, it was kind of difficult to do that. I think offensively, they were not very good, especially after halftime. Defensively, they were not very good, especially before halftime. So it wasn't like they were really their best on either end of the floor. The numbers kind of bear that out. And the Cavs were just a little bit better in their home building. It was close down the stretch. The Hawks were within single digits. Uh, and then there was a big swing against them late in the fourth quarter after a bizarre clear path foul call. I will not blame the loss on that because the Hawks were already losing at that point in time, but certainly that was kind of what drove the final stake in for Atlanta in this game. We'll get into all that and more coming up on the show. Um, just for some context sake, both teams were actually 10 and 6 had the same record coming into the night. Cleveland's profile was a little bit better than the Hawks was in terms of like net rating and all that stuff, point differential, but this is a back-to-back with no travel. However, for Cleveland, they played at home on Sunday evening. And injury-wise, it's actually a lot of a lot of storylines on both sides in this game because DeAndre Hunter was added to the injury report for the Hawks on Monday morning with a non-COVID illness as questionable, then ruled out before game time. So the Hawks played without a starter in this spot in DeAndre Hunter. And of course, Bogdanovich remains out for Atlanta. And with three guys in the G League, the Hawks only had 11 guys available in this game. Only nine played in the competitive portion, but a little bit shorthanded on some level here. Cleveland also, though, was shorthanded in this game. Karis LeVert was out. Dean Wade was out. And while Dean Wade's not exactly a, a prominent player, he's probably been their best small forward this year. That was probably their two best Actually, actual wing size players were out for Cleveland in this game. Uh, Kevin Love was questionable for the Cavs, ended up playing in this game as well. But the Hawks were two and a half point underdogs, according to our friends at Battle Line, in the morning. It became three and a half once Hunter was ruled out. So they basically gave you about an, an extra point um, with Hunter. I think it was probably, it's probably appropriate at this point in time, given what the Hawks have behind him. And that's definitely part of the story of this game was the Hawks kind of having to play without Hunter and uh, navigate those minutes. Um, the Hawks did end up starting A.J. Griffin in this game, his first career NBA start. Congratulations to A.J. on that momentous occasion. I was curious on whether they would actually do that or maybe just start Justin Holiday as a plug-and-play. Obviously, there are plenty of reasons to start A.J., number one, to play him more minutes. Number two, he's been playing very well recently. The talent is what it is. But it also is a tough matchup for him on paper, especially on defense. And uh, as a spoiler alert, I thought A.J. struggled pretty badly defensively in this game. Um, basically, having to defend both Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell with A.J. Griffin and Trey Young on the court together is not exactly going to be easy because uh, somebody has to guard somebody. <laughs> and uh, either Trey or A.J. had to guard Mitchell or Garland, which is not exactly what you want to be, be doing in this spot. 
I'm still totally fine with him starting AJ Griffin. He played a lot of minutes and played generally pretty well in this game on offense, but defensively it was a struggle at times. Um, the Hawks did have a nice start after a run out three point play by John Collins. Nice outlet pass by Capella at the, at the first bucket of the game. And also Trey and DeJounte hit threes in the first two minutes or so. And the Hawks did take a lot more threes in this game. They didn't make them. They took more though. It was nice to see. Anyway, uh, the Cats had their first big run of the game, a 15-2 to push in the middle of the first quarter to go up by 10 points. Darius Garland being guarded by either Trey Young or DeJounte Murray, uh, uh, or AJ Griffin, I should say, during this stretch, had had 12 points in the first four and a half minutes or so, made his first five shots. Trey was struggling to stay in front of him, as was AJ. And really, the entire first half, about the point of attack defense was very bad for Atlanta. Not only just individually guys like AJ and Trey, but even DeJounte was below average for him. The holidays weren't fantastic on the perimeter either defensively. I thought screen navigation was a problem. The Cavs were certainly in their bag and pick and roll, and they were able to kind of get where they wanted to, especially Garwin in the first quarter and Mitchell after that. The Hawks also were not making shots in the first few minutes. They were 4-13 from the floor to start things off. Collins had a nice start with eight points pretty much in a hurry. But other than that, there wasn't a whole lot going on on offense in the first few minutes of the game. Uh, rotationally, it was nothing hugely surprising for Atlanta because of Hunter's absence. It kind of just they put Griffin in that slot. AJ played starters minutes as he probably should have in this game. And then it was kind of the usual you know, short stints on the bench for Trey and Capella in the first quarter. They used Jalen Johnson as the ninth man in the rotation. Basically, no surprises overall. Um, I will note that Trey Young had Isaac Okoro in the torture rack in the first half. Okoro, a local product, of course, played at Auburn, also a local guy from outside of Atlanta in high school, had three fouls in about three and a half minutes against Trey Young in the first the first half. He has all kinds of issues with Trey. But uh, yeah, the Hawks were not, not my 12 at the end of the first quarter. I felt like it might be a long night at that point because defensively, it was really bad. At the outset, the Cavs had 38 points on 24 possessions in the first half, in the first quarter, I should say, which if you do the math quickly, that's more than a point and a half per possession, which is uh, very difficult to overcome if you are the defense. Um, Cleveland shot the ball extremely well um, all the way through the game, really. And part of that was the Hawks defense, part of that was the Cleveland shot making. So hats to them on some level. The offense was fine. Even in the first half, when the Hawks were losing for the majority of it, they definitely played just fine. But it was, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, a challenge, let's just say, across the board. Um, getting into sort of the second quarter now, the first stint actually of the DeJounte Murray plus bench unit uh, actually did okay on the scoreboard. I didn't always feel like it. The holidays playing together with Jalen Johnson is a pretty constricted offensive alignment. And uh, I thought Aaron wasn't particularly bad in this game. Justin wasn't very good either, but Holiday missed his first three shots, had an air ball that was pretty ugly, and then actually just a couple of just like very easy, clear reads as a as a distributor that Aaron just missed, like drop-off passes or kick-out passes that were just wide open. They just not, did not find that. It's a reminder that he is not a point guard. Despite being 5'11", Aaron Holiday is a wing on this team, and there's a reason for that. But Joe Johnson did play well on offense to start things off. That was part of the Hawks' uptick in that second quarter. He made his first three shots, had his best offensive stint in a while, and generally speaking, defensively, it wasn't fantastic for Jalen, but he was better and more aggressive on offense, which is good to see. And Akonga was also excellent, I thought, in the entire game, especially in the first half, had 10 points in a hurry to actually set a new, uh, a new, a new, a new I believe, career high in a first half of scoring with, with 12 points before the half. The Hawks did have a, a nice run in the second quarter, a 15-4 to overall spurt to get from down by 12 to down by one again. It was like back and forth, back and forth for the majority of the second quarter. Uh, the Hawks did a good job creating more havoc defensively with deflections, and Cleveland did cool off a little bit after their red-hot scoring start. Trey had the last seven points of the first half for the Hawks, but they just had to have that to keep up because they couldn't, they couldn't get a lot of stops at the end of the first half. 
And I'll say this, the offense was good in the first half. You know, for a team that was losing by five at the break, they had a 118 offensive rating in the first half. They did a good job taking care of the ball. That, that stopped at the, in the second half. They were good in the first half. That's the line a bunch. They took more threes and mid-range attempts. Trey had 19 in an efficient manner in the first half. Okongwu was good. Murray did struggle, but defensively was the real problem before halftime. They had a 130 defensive rating. I thought AJ, again, was targeted quite a bit. Trey was as well. And the Cavs only took nine threes, but made six of them in the first half. Uh, other than that, though, uh, kind of a tale of the game kind of flipping around in the second half. Uh, it went from bad offense Sorry, bad defense in the first half to bad offense in the second half. It went from bad, it went from good offense in the, in the first half to bad offense in the second half, and uh, that formula is not exactly what you want in order to, when you're trying to come back. The Hawks did lead, though, as we'll get into in a second. They led for portions of the second half, just not quite enough to get over the hump. Before we get to dive into the second half, as well as the takeaways from tonight's game and some observations on the player side, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Turo, and Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., the U.K., Canada, and coming soon to Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip or get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or a holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just want to get from point A to point B. Test drive that new electric vehicle you have your eye on as well. See how it fits in your everyday life. And many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Term conditions and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. Diving out of the third quarter and the best stretch of the night happened early in the third for Atlanta. A 12-2 run to begin the second half. Took the lead at that point in time. The Hawks made their first five shots. Cleveland had, their, had three turnovers in a hurry offensively. Uh, threes by John Collins. AJ Griffin plus a nice turnaround by AJ as well. The Hawks had more threes uh, and by three, by more of those, I mean, eight, they had eight threes in the first 26 minutes. That's more than they had in any of the three previous full games, which is obviously a pretty bad number across the board. But they had their first lead since the first like minute and a half of the game. And uh, they played well in the early portion of the third quarter on offense. They had a lot, they had a lot more juice. Unfortunately, it evaporated from there. Um, the, it was the usual rotation stuff in the second half is nothing really to add on to there. Cleveland, though, did stabilize after that barrage from the Hawks. I thought the Hawks settled a few times in the third quarter. Trey did not have the same level of uh, juice in the, in the second quarter, in the second half, I should say, as he did in the first half. Murray, kind of similarly, he did not play well the entire way. Uh, Trey had at least a couple of times where I kind of flagged it as pretty bad, settle, kind of forced jump shots. He, he did have one nice split of a, of a double team trap, uh, ended up make, making a floater over Jared Allen, but there were a few and far between highlights offensively for the rest of the second half after that opening barrage. They were down by five late in the third and down by three at the end of the third. They won the quarter, but it was a grind. The Hawks shot 35% in the third quarter. Trey was one of seven from the floor, but Cleveland had eight turnovers in the third quarter by themselves. So that was kind of why, but a total of 23 to 21 in the quarter kind of tells you at least a pretty accurate picture of how ugly and slog-like that third quarter actually was. And it continued in the fourth, unfortunately, for the Hawks. So offensively, Atlanta had five points in the first four and a half minutes of the fourth quarter. They missed four of their first five shots. They had two turnovers. The Cavs were hot at that point, and the lead ballooned up to 11 with about nine minutes to go. Now, DeJounte had his best stretch in the of the game after that. He had four quick points, got to the line once, made a floater, uh, trained had a nice floater as well, get, get it back within six. But the Hawks never got it below six from that point forward. Um 
there was a timeout with about five minutes to go and the Hawks down by eight. And I kind of just wanted to circle that as sort of the crunch time portion of the night. They, they have started on the floor as they should have with Griffin, of course, out there at the three Capella back in. And uh, the Hawks did again, kind of go back and forth, back and forth. Um, the Hawks had back-to-back turnovers at one point, but they, they got finally got two stops in a row and Trey got a layup with two forty to go to get the, the lead back down to six. So basically they won that two minute stretch by two points. They cut the lead down from eight down to six. But then is when the game kind of flipped. Jared Allen missed a bunny with Cleveland up by six. So the Hawks had the ball down six and in decent shape to kind of make their final run. DeJounte, though, turned the ball over, and that led to a run out by the Cavs and free throws that seemed to be pretty harmless. John Collins, I thought actually on replay, I wasn't even sure he committed a foul at all, but he kind of, it was a pretty normal play, like a stopping in the fast break kind of play at the rim, going up, contesting the shot, doing what you should do in that situation. But it was reviewed as a clear path foul. And it felt like an absurd review in the moment. I was talking to Glenn Wilson about this um, offline. Um, it just didn't feel like a worthy review. And I thought there was no chance it was actually going to be upheld as a clear path foul, but it was. So McMillan was visibly irate, as was John Collins and others. I'm not sure it was a foul at all, much less a clear path, clear path foul. I have never seen in watching a lot of NBA basketball a clear path foul call in that way, where it was literally at the rim um, in a one-on-one fast break setting when a guy tried to contest a shot at the rim. Um, I guess the clinical definition was that Collins was never out in front of him. So he was actually coming from behind, but it was a normal chase down block scenario. So with this ruling, I'm actually now wondering is if, is every single chase down block a profile foul if they don't execute it very well? It was bizarre. Anyway, uh, you know, people were asking me like if that lost the Hawks the game, I will just say the Hawks were down seven, sorry, the Hawks were down six at that point in time and Cleveland's on a fast break. So the Hawks were probably going to lose, but the way that all went down, it went from probably going to lose to definitely going to lose in a hurry because, again, clear path foul is two two shots in the ball. Osmond makes both for the Cavs to go up by eight points. They get the ball back, and then Cleveland hits a three on the, on the next possession. So it's a five-point possession. It went from a potential stop because I'm not even sure, again, that it was a foul. That was a clean play by Collins. The Hawks have the ball down six. Instead, five points for the, for the Cavs. It's 11 with like two minutes to go, and then after that, uh, they went empty on offense. Mitchell hits a floater, and it's basically over. The Hawks down by 13 points and like two minutes to go. So that's when the game ended. Again, I, the Hawks didn't lose the game based on that call, but it was a bizarre one. I would love to hear an explanation for that from the officials. But uh, you know, anyway, that's kind of the explanation for the end of the game. And uh, the Hawks, it was actually pure garbage time for like the last minute and a half. It was Frank Kaminsky and Vic Krejci coming in for the uh, final 90 seconds or so for the Hawks to ultimately ultimately lose by 12 points after hitting a late three by Griffin to get up uh, above 100. So again, it was a two-way loss for Atlanta. Offensively, a 103 offensive rating is very poor for this team. They did not shoot the ball or score at a high level in the second half. 43 points after halftime, they shot 38.6% from the floor in the second half. That is very much not good. And they also had, I believe it was 11 turnovers in the second half, either, either 10 or 11. So that was uh, way too many for the game and for, the, for that half in general. They didn't shoot it terribly in the game on the whole, but not great either. And this is a theme almost every night right now, which is kind of crazy. But the Hawks were uh, 32.8% from outside of four feet, according to our friends cleaning the glass. So basically anything that was not a layup or a dunk or a rim attempt was really bad for the Hawks once again. They were 11 to 5, 35 from three. Good volume, but cooled off quite a bit there after their pretty pretty hot start from three. And the Hawks also are not going to be able to overcome a lot of nights when they have 17 turnovers in offense. So 
The Hawks are number one in the league in turnover avoidance. They average about 12 per, uh, 12 per game. 17 is not like a complete disaster for most teams, but for the Hawks, that's a lot of turnovers. And they won the glass, but that was not enough to overcome poor shooting and poor ball security. The Hawks cannot afford that combination on most nights. Uh, defensively, they allowed a 116 defensive rating. That is not a disastrous number, but uh, and it was better after the first quarter, but certainly not their best effort. The Cavs did shoot the ball very well. They have a lot of good shot makers on this roster. Um, Garland and Mitchell had 55 points combined on pretty good efficiency, and their supporting pieces. You know, Chetty Osman had a great, had a great game for Cleveland, and you kind of have to live with that because he's not exactly the most prolific guy in the world on offense. But the Hawks did force 20 turnovers and didn't win. That's a pretty shocking development. They had 11 steals as well. That just wasn't enough to overcome the hot shooting from Cleveland. They did a great job on the, on the defensive glass the entire game, no matter who's on the floor. Usually it's Capella, but it was really everybody, Okongwu included, that did a good job on the glass in this game. And they did a good job preventing free throw attempts. But with the Cavs making all those shots, not even all the peripheral help could overcome that. So the Hawks now alternated wins and losses in eight straight games. They have gone... Win loss, win loss, win loss, win loss, uh, and are four and four in the last eight after opening up with that uh, with that six and three record. So they're hanging around. Not a disaster at all at ten and seven. But with this loss, I have not seen the updated version just yet. But the Hawks are hovering around, I believe. Yeah, they're actually into the negative now at point differential. So they're ten and seven on the season, but they have been outscored through seventeen games. That's not exactly the best scenario. Now the schedule has been pretty difficult after the first five games when the Hawks were four and one. Um, and they've had a couple of blowout losses to kind of swing things. But generally speaking, through 17 game, which is about 20% of the season, a little bit more than 20% of the season, you don't want to be outscored. So not the best sign there, but there's still time. But Donovich will help things. Hunter being out in this game did, did hurt them quite a bit. And we'll get into all the individual breakdown stuff in a second. But overall, not a loss that I would say should inspire a lot of panic. Cleveland is a good team. The Hawks were underdogs in this game for a reason on the road, but they still could have played better, should have played better, and probably would like to have stolen this one with the way that Cleveland had some other issues on their own in this game. All right, we'll have more on this contest with some individual breakdowns in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn. And these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-size wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team. They do it faster and they do it for free. I've had to hire a few times in the last couple of years. And LinkedIn Jobs has proven to be an awesome resource for me. It's incredibly easy to create a new free job post at LinkedIn Jobs. They have high-quality candidates that you need to look at the best possible hiring opportunity. And then once you're set up, add the job and the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're actually hiring. And LinkedIn Jobs has simple tools like questions to screen, and that makes it easy to focus on candidates who just have the right skills and experience that you can quickly identify and prioritize to see you want to interview and hopefully eventually hire. You want to finish the year strong, and finding the number one team member that you're looking for is a key piece of doing just that. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires against leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you're looking for that you want to talk to, and they help you to do it faster, and they help you do it for free. Post your job for free at LinkedIn. LinkedIn.com slash locked on MBA. That's LinkedIn.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we'll dive in now to the individual player portion of the podcast. Again, nine guys participated, at least in the competitive portion of the game for Atlanta. It was uh, without Hunter, they had to play both Holiday Brothers and as well as Jalen Johnson and both Habs. Um, the Holidays were bad in this game. There's no, there's no sugarcoating it. I know I have defended it, Justin in particular, but um, you know, not a whole lot that could have been done. You know, I, I saw people kind of like clamoring for someone else, but simply put, the Hawks don't really have anybody else to play without Bogey and without Hunter. Um, they can't really go to Bit Krejci. All due respect, I don't think Bit is uh, ready to play right now. So. 
I would have probably gone to more Justin and less Aaron would have been my only tweak in this game, but it's kind of, uh, you know, half dozen here and all that stuff. So I thought Aaron was worse. He was one of six on the floor, had uh, no assists, had two fouls, minus four in the game. A um, couple of just really bad missed passes that I thought were out there defensively, not his usual best self either. He was really, really struggling. Justin was a more harmless 0-3 from the floor. He missed all three three-point attempts. Like, he needs to make shots to be able to be playable, but I thought he was better defensively than Aaron was in this game. But listen, they were bad. Now, the only thing that I'll say about the holidays in this game was that, uh, as I just said with the plus-minus, and those can be this, this can, be, can sort of be misleading, the Hawks didn't get killed with them on the floor in this game. Minus two for Justin, minus four for Aaron. It felt worse than that, to be fair to everyone, including like my own eyes. They did not play well at all, but the Hawks actually lost this game with the starters. This is one of those rare nights of the season when the, when the Stars were actually the, the problem for Atlanta. They got blitz with Trey on the floor. They got blitz with uh, Capella and Collins on the floor, which does not usually happen this year. But uh, I, I think it was a, lot of, it was a lot of that's just kind of noise. And I think, again, the holidays were their worst players in this game pretty clearly. But uh, yeah, without Hunter, it is a glaring reminder. And I'm not going down the rabbit hole again about the Kevin Herter thing. But if you want a good example of why the Hawks uh, did not need to do the Kevin Herter trade, uh, and I don't, most of the examples that, that I will always get back are like, well, they well, they got Murray anyway. What do they, they need Herter for? Well, when you get one injury or get uh, maybe two injuries, like this is what happens. And you have to lean on guys that are not ready to play and all that stuff. So anyway, pretty rough stuff off the bench for both of them. I thought Jalen Johnson was good in the first half, not so good in the second half, but still played better in this one than he has in a couple of games before this and earned, that, earned some more minutes. On Saturday, he got benched in the second half, and I thought, I thought rightfully so after a bad stretch in the first half. He was better here. Eight points, two steals, had a rebound and assist, was plus five in his minutes, and uh, looked totally fine, generally speaking. Defensively, always has a couple of mishaps, but at least used his physicality to get those two steals. Um, I thought Kongwu was really good, actually. 18 points, 10 rebounds. That's actually a, uh, a season high for Kongwu with 18 points. Had 10 rebounds as well. Uh, got to the line six times, made all six. Was five of eight on twos. Uh, actually took a three in the corner in this game, missed it, but it was good to see him kind of get that up and fire it. And then even on the glass, you know, usually the Hawks have trouble when he's out there defensively on the glass. They did not have, have that issue in this game. So I thought he played well. He took advantage of Kevin Love a few times. He got, but he, he did go right through Jared Allen a few different, on a few different occasions. So a good encouraging night for a Kongwu off the bench. To the starters now, uh, Capella had a good, not great night for him. Uh, he's been playing incredibly well this year. And I thought, again, defensively in this game, was quite good. The point of attack stuff was really the problem throughout the night, and they put a lot of pressure on the backline defenders, Capella, Collins, Akongwu, and they did a pretty decent job at the rim, actually, at least at preventing attempts. But I thought Capella was like his usual defensive self. Four points only on five shots, which is not great, but 12 rebounds, two steals, two blocks, only one turnover, did his job in 27 minutes, just played well in general. He's been a very, very solid player. He didn't dominate this one like he has a few games in the recent past, but I thought he was a pretty solid, positive um, Collins was better offensively, more involved than offensively in this game. 16 points on nine shots, two steals and a block as well on the defensive side of the floor. Um, I would have liked to see more um, involvement for him. Nate McMillan got asked about this after the game, actually said that they were involving John Moore tonight. That probably is true, but even then, they were kind of going away from him a few different times when he had good matchups. I think this is a familiar story all the way through. I'm not going down the Collins rabbit hole or the trade stuff on this particular podcast. I talked about, talk about John trade stuff on Saturday, so if you missed that, I encourage you to listen to that. It was uh, brought up again by Mark Stein over the weekend uh, when, he, when he talked about the uh, about, about the Jazz being interested. And also, I'll just I'll just stick this in here now. Stein said, uh, and I quote, his exit from the Hawks after being mentioned in countless trade scenarios over the past few seasons has never seemed more inevitable. 
end quote, is the quote from Mark Stein. Now, he did say and kind of made fun of himself for writing a similar thing over the summer, and I was in the same spot. But uh, I will say he also reported that the Kings got close to a deal with Collins. Um, he said that there's momentum on all sides of this one. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where we'll revisit it if we get more actual rumors about John Collins. But if you want my full thoughts, I wrote about them on my Patreon, and I also talked about them on the show on Saturday. We'll kind of stick to the, stick to the game on this evening. But, uh, you know, it's still sort of the same situation as it's been for quite some time on that front. But I thought Collins was pretty good in this game, just generally speaking. Griffin uh, had a mixed game. I thought offensively he was very good. 17 points on 11 shots, got up six threes. Uh, his floater game, I, I, I kind of joked during the game that he's not missed a floater all year long. He's been great in that like kind of eight-foot push shot range. He's been super good with, with his touch from that range. Um, defensively, it was not good. He did have three steals. Now, AJ is active, and he, he uses his hands well. But he's going to have to get better in staying in front of guys. That's been uh, a theme. In his defense, about his defense in this game, um, he was asked to guard guys who he should not be guarding. Like he, he really should not be matched up with Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland. That's a tough matchup. I know my friend Glenn Willis talked about that before the game. I would have echoed that as well. Um, it's not, not the best spot in the world to have AJ making his first start against two star-level guards on the opposition and having to cover up for Trey. But – he got better as the game went on. I will say that. And then the three steals are very nice to have as well. And look, he's 19 years old. He's going to have defensive problems along the way. But offensively, he continues to be very, very impressive. And it's not just the shooting. Obviously, he is a great shooter already. But the floor game, the maturity, under control, it's uh, definitely easy to be excited about A.J. Griffin. And I know I am as well. To the backcourt. Uh, this is kind of a struggle. You know, Trey had a good first half. He had 19 points on efficient shooting, but uh, as the offense ground to a halt after halftime, so did Trey. He was uh, quite shaky after the halftime break, and uh, he was not alone. So Trey finished with 10 of 22 from the floor, but only one of eight from three. Uh, did have 10 assists, but had six turnovers, 25 points, minus 19. I thought Trey was pretty bad. He wasn't totally terrible, but I think the second half was kind of his worst instincts along the way, and then defensively he got picked on, as did AJ throughout the game. And then Murray had his worst game as a Hawk. Now, that's just that's kind of a low bar to clear. Like, sorry, maybe a high bar. However, you want to say that uh, Dejounte's been very good this year for the Hawks. But he was four seventeen for the floor. He was three of thirteen on twos. He had four turnovers in the game. Eleven points uh, defensively wasn't absolutely his best. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't uh, necessarily wrecking the game like he often does on defense. So. Murray will have better nights. He missed a bunch of shots that he sometimes makes from the mid-range, from the floater range. So no reason to panic, but he was kind of maybe due for one of these, and he had a bad one at kind of a bad time. If he had played an average Murray game, this would have been a very competitive game down the stretch, and because he didn't. And it's not just a one-man a one thing. Again, Trey was very bad in the second half, I thought, by his standards, and uh, there were other issues as well. But I thought Murray did not play well, and I'm sure he would tell you the same thing if you asked him at this point. So with all that said, the Hawks lose this one by 12 it was not a disaster. It was not a great performance by any means. And uh, amid, amid all the trade stuff, amid all of the you know noise, they're still 10 and 7. They're in to totally fine shape. Uh, they're off for travel on Tuesday. And then uh, a pretty interesting situation on Wednesday. Kevin Herter returns to Atlanta for the first time in an, op an opposing uniform. I'm sure he'll get the tribute video and uh, the attention that he is probably due on Wednesday as the Kings come to town. It is the second night of a back-to-back -back for Sacramento, which is probably a good sign for Atlanta. They'll be a little bit of a uh, they'll be the, the less tired team. The Kings play on Tuesday in Memphis, so a tough game for them, and then they have to travel to Atlanta. So an advantage there for sure. 
But Cleveland, uh, sorry, Sacramento has been rolling right now. In fact, the Kings, I believe, are on a six-game winning streak. Yes, they are. They have won six games in a row. They lead the NBA in scoring. They're number two in the league in offensive efficiency. Herter is individually batting it up. De'Aaron Fox is playing very well this season. So this is not exactly a walkover game. There are some built-in advantages from home court and rest, but the Kings will score on you. Now, they'll also give up points. They're, they're still a bad defensive team. They're actually in the bottom five this year on defense, despite being nine and six. But uh, that's a real challenge on a Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And uh, I'm sure guys will have their minds elsewhere before Thanksgiving in some ways. It's one of those tests for a, a team that has some veterans on it to be focused ahead of the holiday. And then they go on the road after that. So uh, definitely an interesting one that we'll get into. Normally, I probably have a, a podcast in between games. But because of the holiday, I'm trying to take at least one day or two off this week. So I will have Probably nothing between now and the game on Wednesday and then nothing between the game on Wednesday and th- and Friday. But I will have post-game episodes as I pretty much always do on Wednesday and on Friday. If you want some more uh, live stuff from me, I have started a, a Patreon, uh, which I have linked on my Twitter. It's patreon.com slash btroland for some written content as well. So I'm uh, kind of ratcheting things up a little bit across the board here. But I definitely encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all those fun places. I really do appreciate all the support. Enjoy your Thanksgiving week. I'll be back after the game on Wednesday night.